Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. We are concluding our series, Contents Under Pressure, which means that is our last Hydraulic Press video. I'm so glad that it's been really meaningful for y'all. <laughs> really powerful ministry. Uh, but over this month, over the, the month of August, we've been talking about the pressures that we feel. The things in life that make us feel like that poor, poor Furby, uh, or like that rubber band ball we saw there at the end. And so, if you remember, week one, we talked about the pressure to achieve. How so often we are tempted, like the man in the parable that we read, uh, we're tempted to build bigger barns so that we can amass more stuff. Uh, We are tempted to go the way of greed, but what Jesus calls us to in that parable and in many other places in the Bible is to go the way of need, to meet people's needs. He tells us that we aren't defined by our achievements, but by our love. And then week two, we talked about peer pressure, and we saw a great example of people falling to peer pressure. They won't confess that they believe in Jesus because they fear the Pharisees. And that's a great example of negative peer pressure, but we also talked about how there's positive peer pressure. And we talked uh, about being a people who pressure each other toward good stuff, like vulnerability and kindness and generosity. And then last week, we talked about the pressure of time, uh, about how precious life and time really are, and how we ought to use the pressure that we feel to make sure that those 1,440 minutes we are given a day are used well, that that we use it on the stuff that really matters, the stuff that we really want our lives to be about. Um, Tonight, the pressure that we're going to be ending on uh, is a little less specific. Tonight, uh, we're talking about just hard times in life, the inevitable heartaches and losses and failures that happen. Really what we're thinking about is, is the pressure of negative life experiences. And in our scripture for tonight, we're going to see the Apostle Paul emerging out of one of those experiences in his own life. Um, our scripture comes from 2 Corinthians tonight, and I want to give you some background on what led Paul to write this second letter to the church in Corinth in the first place. Uh, Paul had helped establish the church in Corinth, and he loved this church. He spent 18 months, which was pretty unique for him. He usually wouldn't spend that much time in one place. But he spent 18 months putting together this church, preaching the gospel, um, helping them get going. Because he knew that this church had major potential. Uh, Corinth was a port city. It was a a Roman province. It it was rapidly growing. He knew that this could be an epicenter for the early Christian movement. But after he left Corinth to continue planting, he went on to Ephesus, uh, he starts hearing that the Corinthians have all these problems. There's all these situations happening, and uh, first off, there was a group in the church that had adopted some strange theology. Uh, I'll leave it at that. And secondly, the church was divided over just a myriad of issues. They were divided over which leaders, which pastors they preferred. Uh, They were divided over sexual ethics and worship style and food and and all of these different things. Well, Paul writes 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is a great book. It's very practical. Paul addresses head-on some of those problems. Uh, But after sending it and waiting a while, he finds out that the church has totally, totally rejected this advice. They've spurned him. So Paul decides to go to Corinth to to meet with them face-to-face and talk through some of this stuff. 
And we don't know a lot about what specifically happened uh, when he returned to Corinth, but we do know that it was bad, really bad. Paul goes on to refer to this experience as his painful visit. So Paul leaves and he's devastated. And this relationship he's had with this church is, is broken. But time goes by and eventually the church in Corinth gets back on the right track. The group that was espousing some of this weird theology, they leave and the rest of the church kind of realizes their error. They, they reach out to Paul, they wanna patch things up. So that's when Paul writes 2 Corinthians. He would refer to this letter as his letter of tears. But it was a letter that he wrote as a way to reconcile with the Corinthians. And we're gonna be reading from the very beginning of that letter tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull those out. Of course, we'll have it up here on the screen. Uh, but we're gonna be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses three and four, just a couple of verses. And this is what Paul writes. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. Okay, in our scripture, Paul is speaking from very personal experience. And the first thing that he says in this, this section of scripture is that he is grateful to worship a God who consoles us when we get hurt. And you know what? I'm very grateful for that too. See, people are messy. Our lives are messy. And the reality of this pressure that we're talking about tonight is, is that we are going to have moments, whether we like it or not, where we get hurt. When life is hard and things get us down, and sometimes it's nothing that we've done. Sometimes it is, is entirely out of our control. I mean, look at Paul. Paul had been good to the people in Corinth. He had done nothing wrong. He spent a year and a half of his life and his ministry with them, loving them and teaching them. He had done nothing to deserve this kind of rejection. But the hard truth is that we don't always get to choose the challenges or the pressures that we face in this life. Every one of us has our own set of stuff. Every one of us ha has our own story. I, I read a lot uh, this week about a man named Robert Lee. Robert was born in East Tennessee uh, in March of 1921. When Robert was a child, his parents had to pull him out of school because they needed him to go work. He had to make money and support the family and, and feed the family. And so from the time that he was a young boy, he went and he worked out in the fields. He learned how to use his hands to make a living. Uh, but unfortunately, he was never able to go back to school, which meant that he never learned to read or write. But Robert went on and he got married and he started a family and he had 12 kids, God bless him. <laughs> I've just got the one, but it's a lot, you know. Uh, but like his own upbringing, money was still super tight. So he, he worked as a sharecropper. He operated a, a small tobacco farm in Tennessee and he took random construction jobs whenever he could find them just to help ends meet. And still with all that, they didn't have much. Uh, in fact, 
when his fourth child, his daughter, was born, he couldn't afford to pay the doctor who had delivered her. And so he offered him a large sack of cornmeal as payment. I don't know if that's good payment, but, uh, but as poor as they were, Robert filled his home with love. He never gave up. He, he worked hard. He tried his best to support his family. And overall, Robert was a pretty happy man. But the one thing that always haunted him was the fact that he couldn't read or write. It was always his greatest embarrassment. He referred to it as the greatest humiliation of my life. It weighed on him. He was a good father. He supported and loved his family. He took them to church. He shared the faith with them. But there was always this thing in life he couldn't do. There was this affliction, as Paul puts it, that he struggled with, this challenge in his life. And I know Robert's story is probably way different than yours. But we all have a story. We all have our own kinds of messes. We all have our own challenges. Some are self-inflicted. I've got plenty of those. But some aren't. Sometimes it's a temporary circumstance. Sometimes it's like Robert, it's a skill or ability that we feel like we're lacking. But regardless, life throws us challenges. We find ourselves in messiness, whether we like it or not. And that's where Paul found himself. He was emerging out of the mess. But here's what I love so much about our scripture. Paul's first instinct as he writes this letter is to thank God. He thanks God for consoling him in the midst of the mess. I wish that was my first instinct sometimes. Paul's faith was so rooted that in the midst of this heartbreak uh, with the church in Corinth, he never lost sight of God's comfort, God's consoling presence. See, whether it's a literacy or conflict uh, or, or something entirely different, one of the truths of this faith that I, I think probably so many of us can attest to, I know that I can, is that God is always there. God is always consoling us. Paul knew that. He saw that, that God was in his mess. That's what he says in scripture. He recognizes that the father of mercies was consoling him. And that is a wonderful thing. But it's also not the only thing that Paul says in our scripture. And it is a great truth and an important truth that God consoles us. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He didn't just receive consolation from God. He didn't just find comfort in his mess. He also uses his mess. That's what he says in scripture. That's the turn. He says when things get hard, when the pressures and hardships of life get to us, God will be there and he will console you. And he does that so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. We are consoled so that we can console. We are comforted so we can comfort. We are healed so that we can go heal. See, people are messy and our lives are messy. 
But the thing about our God is that he gives us the ability to use our mess to do ministry. There's a great quote that says, only God can turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory. Y'all know I love that. I love, I love some wordplay and that's good. I wanna read it again. Only God can turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory. And that is absolutely right. God can make our mess our message. He can take the heartache that we've experienced and use it to do something amazing, something we would never think. And we know this because we see him do it in scripture over and over again. Take Gideon, for example. When we first meet Gideon in scripture, it tells us that he is hiding from the Midianites in a wine press. He is introduced to us as a coward. But by the end of the story, if you know Gideon's story, Gideon's army of just 300 men bravely take on a Midianite force of over 100,000, and he wins. Where we would see a coward, God saw a conqueror. Or take David. God, goes, uh, God, God comes looking for the next king of Israel. And he goes to the house of Jesse, and he's got all of these great options. And who does he choose? The smallest, youngest son. He selects a, a shepherd boy to go lead his people. And David goes off into battle, and he, he fights Goliath, this giant 10-foot Philistine, and he wins. Again, where we see a boy with, with no experience, God saw a leader. Or in the Gospels. There's Zacchaeus. He's this, this small guy, a tax collector. And because of his job, people hate him. He is despised by his community. He has nobody. But Jesus invites him to climb down out of this tree and he invites him to break bread. And this inspires Zacchaeus to go pay back all of the people that he's taken advantage of, not just what he's taken, but four times what he's taken. He ends up being a blessing to the people he hurt. God uses this job that he has, this job that everyone despises. God uses his mess and he turns it. And Zacchaeus, who was a financial burden to the community, becomes a financial blessing. The point is, so often it's the things in our lives that we view as broken. It's, it's the hardships that we've experienced. It's the skills we don't have, the difficult seasons that we have lived through. It's those things that God takes and uses the most. Over and over in scripture, God takes someone's mess and he makes it a message. He makes it a ministry. Like Robert Lee, the man who never learned to read or write, the man who, who carried that embarrassment for years. Well, his story doesn't just end with him being ashamed of his, uh, his illiteracy. If, if that was the sermon illustration I used, that'd be a really depressing sermon illustration. I told you that Robert had 12 children, and I told you that he paid the doctor who delivered his fourth child, his daughter, uh, he paid him a sack of cornmeal. Well, that ended up being a, a pretty amazing deal for him because that daughter of his ended up being pretty successful. Her name was Dolly, and she found massive success in country music. Uh, in fact, uh, I didn't know this until this week, 
uh, but Dolly Parton is the wealthiest country music star in history. She has a net worth of over $650 million. Dollywood must be crazy, because I, <laughs> I had no idea she was worth that much money. But if you don't know anything about Dolly, uh, if, or if you do know anything about Dolly, you know that she's pretty generous with what she has. Uh, in fact, Hannah and I uh, have recently become beneficiaries of Dolly's kindness. Uh, Dolly has a nonprofit called the Imagination Library. And if you have a child under the age of, of five years old, they will send you one book a month, totally free. So Hannah signed us up and she told me about this thing and I was like, that's for sure gonna be in a sermon at some point. And, and we got our first, y'all, that's how our house operates, y'all, let me tell you. Uh, but we got our first book a few weeks ago. This is Sadie receiving her book. She's then just tried to eat it. But, but after we got this book, I did some research and I was blown away. As of July, 2023, so just last month, the Imagination Library has provided 213,859,527 books to kids across the world for free. This service is available in five countries right now, but, but they hope to expand uh, as far as they can so that every child is given an opportunity to become literate. Now, I imagine that y'all are probably putting this together by now, but when Dolly was asked why she decided to spend so much time and money and effort creating this nonprofit, I, I want you to hear exactly what she said. This was her response to that question. She said, when I started the Imagination Library, it was to honor my daddy. My daddy was so smart, but he felt crippled with the fact that he couldn't read or write. I kept telling him, everybody has a different purpose in life, and if nothing else, maybe this is why you couldn't read or write. Maybe God knew a long time ago that I was gonna do something that would help millions of kids and people that couldn't read or write. It's amazing. Dolly actually dedicated the 100, 100 millionth book, uh, which is now in the Library of Congress, and it's one that she herself wrote, and she dedicated it to her dad. She also said that just before he died, uh, she was hanging out with her father, Robert Lee Parton, and somebody came in and said, aren't you the book lady? And he started to cry. But I thought that story was amazing. I know that Robert Lee Parton was a proud man. I know that, that he gave thanks to God many times for how the Lord used his hardship. And that is the story of our scripture. We are consoled so that we can console. We are healed so that we can heal. So often God takes the challenges from our lives and he turns them into ministry. The, the worst stuff, the stuff that we wanna hide about ourselves are the very things that God wants to use the most. Robert Parton was deeply ashamed of the fact that, that he couldn't read or write for years. It was, it was his greatest embarrassment. He would have said it was the messiest part about him. But his mess became ministry. His mess became a message. And that's just how God works. For Paul, God consoled him in the heartbreak that he experienced in his painful visit. But God also didn't stop there. He used 
that. He consoled Paul so that Paul could then console others. And that's exactly what the entirety of 2 Corinthians is. It's a letter of consolation. It's a letter of reconciliation. It's a letter of healing. God took that broken experience and he used it. And so the question for all of us tonight is where does God want to use you? And if you don't know the answer to that question, maybe the place to start is by asking yourself a different question. What have you been through in your life? What challenges have you experienced? What pressures have crushed you like a Furby? And how can you use them now to do ministry? Look, I recognize that we cannot all launch giant nonprofits that send hundreds of millions of books across the world. But we can do something. And maybe that something is as simple as just being willing to share your story. I feel like I am learning that more and more every day. I cannot tell y'all how many times I have shared something personal in a sermon, even recently, and I've thought, is this okay? Am I oversharing? Does anybody care? And I question it only to find out that, that several people have had that same experience. Or, or it spoke to someone in a way I could never imagine. And truly, I believe that, that when that happens, that has nothing to do with me. That is all God. That's what he does. He consoles so we can console. He sees us through, through the valleys and the pressures of life so that we in, in turn can do the same for others. It's an amazing part about the character of God. It's this beautiful cycle where nothing is ever wasted. We look at our lives and we see manure, but God sees fertilizer and he grows flowers out of it. So whatever it is for you, whatever your mess has been, whether it's conflict like Paul or educational struggles like Robert Lee Parton or whether it is something entirely different and entirely unique to you, just know tonight that God can and probably will use it because it really is true. Your test can be your testimony. Your trial can be your triumph. Your mess can be your message. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? God, we are a room full of broken people. We are a room full of hard experiences. We are a room full of healing, but we are, also, we are a room full of scars. Lord, my prayer for us tonight is that you would use our scars. Those places in our lives that we like to hide away. Those places in our lives that we like to pretend never happened. Lord, help us to find somebody who's in that same place. Help us to offer healing. Help us to offer comfort. Lord, we thank you tonight. We are so grateful that you are a God who consoles. Whatever it is we're grieving tonight, Lord, whether it's the loss of a life, whether it's the loss of a friendship, whether it's something small like frustration at work, God, you are still there consoling us, healing us, comforting us. Lord, help us to do the same. 
Help us to live out of that and to go find somebody that we can do the same thing for, that we can comfort and encourage and help through. Lord, every one of us has a story. Every one of us has been through something. Help us to tell our story. Help us to share it for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.